Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right. We should be in the second round. We're actually uh, getting ready for conference finals now pretty soon, right? NBA playoffs. But that's not happening. So we look forward to football. And we're going to start with a lot of football this morning. The Aggies, the Utes, and this first interview, this is both actually Cougars and Utes at the same time. Antonio Pierce had a great career in the NFL. Now he's coaching the Herm Edwards staff at Arizona State. And ASU is playing both BYU and Utah this year. BYU's earlier in September. The Utah game uh, is in November. Here's Antonio Pierce from uh, Arizona State with DJ and PK on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Antonio, good morning. Good morning, good morning. I'm curious, as a guy who uh, undrafted and you made it in the NFL and you're on a Super Bowl champ and you'll learn a lot of football, you'll watch a lot of film, you're working at it full time, now you go back to the college level and the kids are obviously less mature, you're dealing with some of them are teenagers, and they got to go to class and they got to take tests and who knows what girlfriend problem they're distracted with or parents or whatever. What's the transition been like back to college? Well, I think I was fortunate uh, prior to being uh, the linebacker coach here at ASU. I was the head coach at Long Beach Poly. So let's even take it back. I was dealing with kids coming from junior high to high school. <laughs> so a whole different maturity level there, you know what I mean? But um, it, it's been fun. I'll be honest, I, I got patience for it. And obviously when you've been at the highest level, you've been with you know elite talent, guys can do pretty much anything, and, and you can throw anything at them and they do it. Well, here you go back to you know day one. I call it football 101, and – and you just kind of dial things back. You spoon-feed them. And I think the deal with most high school kids that come to college is the maturity part, and you hit on it. You know, they go from being the man on campus in high school, the man in their area. So now they get humble pie. You know what I mean? A lot of them got to start at the bottom and the back of the line, and they work them up. But you keep building them up. You know, I think the best part of what we've done here at ASU is give uh, freshmen an opportunity to compete right away. We don't care about – you know, what star ranking you had or how many offers you had. When you come here, if you can play ball and you can compete and you do what we ask, you got an opportunity. So I don't know if football media contact Mark Brand told you, but I went to ASU, graduated of ASU. Uh, I was there when Cush got carried off the field after he was fired in that game. I was in Pasadena when the greatest moment in Sun Devil history when they won the Super Bowl, or uh, Rose Bowl, I should say. So I go back, and I know that the Devils historically have had good skill position players, and even these last couple years here with uh, the receivers going in the first round. Uh, my thought for you, Antonio, is what's it going to be like in the trenches? Because it seems like, as I look at particularly your defense this year, you got some good linebackers. you got the back end, seems to be loaded. I'm wondering about up front. Yeah, you know, it's, we're transitioning from a three down to a four down, so that's that's something new. Uh, we've had some guys, I think, that's been talented enough uh, to play and, and produce. You know, Jermaine Lole is a guy who, you know, had an outstanding year last year, good freshman year, and, and bounced back last year with a really good year. You know, when he's moving inside, we had some guys that we red-shirted, like Amiri Johnson, a, a big kid who was 6'6". Six, six, um, hell, he was 215 when he got here, and he finished up being 260 you know, in the spring. and So, you know, th- th- it's not going to be as as an experienced group as the back end, but we have talent there. And I think what we've done even better than that is put them in position now to what they do best. You know, not so much slanting and doing the other things, but allowing these big bodies to go vertical. You know, I mean, really press the pocket back. And the penetrate, what they do well, get off the block and, and be disruptive. So 
Um, I think that's going to have to tie in with the back end. You know, we got some good secondary players. The better they are in coverage, a little bit more time we got to rush the quarterback. So that should be beneficial for those guys. And we're going to be a little bit younger uh, in the front in the front four, but uh, I do think we have some talented guys coming in and some talented guys that registered. All the stats as far as uh, where you rank nationally in rushing, that improved a lot. You hadn't been better than 99 for years, and, and you got to uh, 39th in scoring defense. Uh, you didn't give up as many big plays. But when you say you're getting younger, is there going to be a step back before you go forward, or do you think you can keep improving in all these defensive categories? No, I think we'll keep improving because, you know, when you talk about the linebackers, and I started two freshmen two years ago. Well, now they're juniors. they got 26 games. Underneath their belt, Elijah Juarez, Cal Soli, guys like that have played a lot of football. Um, and then on the back end. So we're, we're, used to, we're used to playing younger guys. Here another thing that maybe we have mentioned or should talk about is that we had 11 freshmen in row early. I had two linebackers in row, in row early. We had two DBs in row early. We got two DBs coming in, um, our two defensive linemen coming in who are physically ready to play right now. So the, the biggest thing and the challenge for us as coaches is the learning curve. You know, speeding those guys up and feeding them information, um, I, I think we'll pick up. And then the good part about our team is we got a lot of guys who want to bring others along with them. You know, we don't have a lot of individual players who are all about themselves. They're about the team, that aspect of bringing along. They know we can have something special. We can really do it this year, especially with everything going on because we got seven practices in in the spring. And we just feel like, you know, the momentum is leading our way to finally make that next step. So everybody knows about Eno Benjamin. He was the ultimate workhorse for you guys the last couple of years, and he's gone in the NFL, going to be playing with the Cardinals this season. And, I, you know, as a, as a guy who went to ASU, I follow recruiting a little bit. So you got a, a running back out of uh, Akron, Ohio, and I'm expecting this guy, I think Trianum is how you say his name, I'm expecting to yeah. him for him to have the same impact for Sun Devil football that another guy had out of Akron, Ohio in the NBA. Is that accurate? Well, well, listen, if we have that, then we might be having some roses coming down out the sky on some pedals. <laughs> but look, no, you know, those guys, you know, Diamante's a grown man. You know, when I first saw him, when he came on his visit, I was like, wow, this is a, a high school senior. I mean, you're talking about six, five, eleven, six foot compact, 230, 235, and runs like a madman. Um, he's going to bring a different mentality. You don't see that a lot on the West Coast, especially in the Pac-12. Uh, with uh, players of that physical demeanor coming into the program. And, and, and actually, early, he's going to compete. And then a guy like Daniel Degada, kid out of Folsom, who's played big-time football um, at that area, has been a champion. I think the biggest thing we've done in the last two classes is we brought in winners. Not just good football players, guys that have won at the high school level, guys who have been captains, leaders of their team. Um, that just makes our unit even better. That makes our group even stronger, and they're not scared of competition. So they're always going to push the envelope for the guys that's in front of them or that's been here prior. You know you cannot sleep. You can't miss a workout. You can't miss a day because there's somebody coming in to replace you, and that's what we're trying to, to, to set up here is that competitive advantage within the building. Arizona State Associate Head Coach and Co-Defensive Coordinator Antonio Pierce here talking a little uh, Sun Devil football. Do you feel like the recruiting both for your school individually and the conference as a group has changed? There have been all kinds of stories about schools, Alabama and Clemson and other schools coming in and taking kids off the West Coast and taking them back to the SEC, the Big Ten, and the ACC. And now you're getting somebody out of Akron. It seems like more West Coast kids are 
are staying home. Do you feel like it's changing both for you guys individually and the Pac-12 as a group? Yeah, I think so. I think just with, you know, when you watch college playoffs, you know, I mean, the four teams each and every year for some reason have come from, obviously, the SEC, and, and you have a guys from the Big 12, uh, Big 10 maybe in there. Um, the Pac-12 has not been represented, and kids are noticing that. They want to they want to play in that in that January uh, playoff run, you know, and I get it. Listen, if, if you're a top recruit and you feel like you need to go elsewhere, then that's fine. But here goes the thing, and I always say, when you watch the draft, it's not about stars, not about rankings. It's about little Johnny, and I'm calling little Johnny just the regular football player that chops wood every day, that somebody overlooked, that didn't get the big time offers, and he's pissed off, <laughs> and he fights his way for the next four years, and then guess what happens in the month of April, May. He's one of the draft picks getting their names called by Roger Goodell. We want the guys that have a fire and a desire to want to be Sun Devils. We want guys that have the passion to want to work. They don't live off of their uh, past accomplishments. And, again, sometimes you want to go a place and you want to go there and beat your head against the wall with the other five stars, and that's fine. We just want football players that are passionate and want to do it the way we want them to do. Be on time, be early, and exceed expectations. I think that's what we've done with the, the group that we've had here in two years. People look at our quarterback, Jaden Daniels, 6'4", 170 wet. Well, guess what? He was one of the best fourth quarter quarterbacks in college football last year, in our opinion. You know, we think the future's brighter for him going forward. Uh, he's a kid that leads the building. You know, the first one in, last one to leave all the time. Those are the kind of guys you want. And guess what? He wasn't the top quarterback out of high school. He was a good one. He wasn't the top one. So as long as we get enough good football players with that mentality, we'll be just fine. And you guys really made an emphasis on recruiting in California. Your prior uh, administration there, coaching, had uh, really lacked in that area, and you guys picked up a bunch this past season. But i got, I got to be honest with you, as I look at it in-state, and, you know, I grew up down there, uh, I see that that's lacking already. The top two kids locally mm-hmm. uh, from Arizona have committed to Oregon. I, I actually think kids want out because it's so blazing hot there and they're looking for something different. But what's it going to take for you guys to have success locally? Well, you got to win. You got to win. It's not from love. It's not from a lack of recruiting, which is by far anything anybody can tell me. Um, we've loved them up. We've had most of those kids at plenty and multiple times on our campus in their games. Um, it, sometimes these kids want to get away. It's no different what you talked about when you talk about kids from California going to SEC. You got kids from uh, the state of Arizona want to go elsewhere. Uh, but I do think once we kind of hit that, that one year, we really knock it out the park, then they'll take notice. You know, I, I thought last year we did a really aggressive job um, of attacking the 21 and 22 class, trying to get ahead of the game, and really the 22 class offering over 15, 18 players in that group early on to get ahead of the game. Because when I first got here, all I heard was, well, ASU doesn't offer in-state guys. Okay, well, we offered a few. Then the next year we offered a little bit more. Then we went ahead and jumped up two years ahead of the game and got, and got into the mix first, being their first offer creating that, 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 that um, um, continuity and communication when you get them on campus, when they can come for games. So, um, you know, it's tough. You're never going to be right or wrong with in-state. I, I knew that when I was a head coach at Long Beach Poly, and I didn't have kids that went to USC and UCLA. They're like, well, why are they going elsewhere? Well, sometimes kids just want to get away. They don't want to be in the same neck of the woods that they've been their whole life. Man. They have that option. But the one thing about it is not a lack of effort from uh, ASU recruiting anybody locally. We reach out to them as much as we can, love them up along with the coaches and parents. And at the end of the day, this is the one time in their life they get to choose where they want to go. And they're choosing to go elsewhere, and it's fine. 
And as PK likes to point out, they might be choosing that they don't want 118-degree temperatures anymore. We're not going to talk about that quite yet. That, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's, a, that's a negative recruiting versus an issue. But this is what I think. This is what I tell those guys that, that say that. It's three months out the year. We don't do that during the football season. Our hottest game since I've been here was 108, and that was against Michigan State. Our second game here. Other than that, it's 90. It's football weather. The grass is green. The sun is out. You can work year-round. I know a lot of places, and I use Diamante, for example, from Ohio. He said, Coach, I never had spring football. I said, what you mean? He said, it's snowing. We don't go outside. <laughs> we, don't, we don't go on the grass. We don't do spring football. Well, here you can have football year-round. So that that's my anti-118 degree pitch. <laughs> there it <laughs> is. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Forks up. There's Arizona State's Antonio Pierce. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Gary Anderson, head coach of the Aggies, is coming up next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Gary Anderson, Utah State head football coach. Join us now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gary, good morning. Good morning, man. How are we doing? We are doing well. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, grinding away every day. <laughs> so, uh, every day we're one, closer, one step closer back to uh, getting the kids on campus. So that's what we're doing. So do you have any idea what that timeline looks like when that's going to happen? No, not really. You know, it kind of goes back and forth like everybody sees every day, I think. Uh, you know, for us, what we did is we started this, this training cycle goes till June 1st, and we have not altered that. We haven't changed it for uh, since the day we walked off the second day of spring practice and started up a plan. So we'll get to June 1st, and we'll look at the landscape, and we'll move forward. But, uh, you know, don't know what it looks like, but I know what our kids had some goals and some objectives that they'd set to get through school. Um, they did an awesome job. You know, I've said it many times, but uh, our support staff, uh, all the professors, everybody, we, we broke records again in our academic performance this last semester in a very unusual situation. And then we also, these kids have some parameters to where they hold themselves accountable individually to their workouts, and they need to meet that come June 1st. And when they walk back in here, they'll be as prepared as they can whenever that date is. We've seen a lot of things change, Gary, here in these last few weeks, you know, at the pro level, at the college level. And we've talked about how maybe through some of this stuff there might be changes that could be implemented going forward. And one of the things I'm interested in is recruiting. With social media today, you see all these kids, you know, I've received my 10th offer from Utah State, and then you click on, and you can see all these offers. So recruiting is still going on, as far as I can see from the outside anyway. It's going on full steam ahead. and scholarships are being offered to the classes, to the kids of 2021 and so forth and so on. I'm wondering, do you see any changes that have come about for recruiting virtually and online, whatever it might be, that could stick going forward that the NCAA adopts? Well, that's a great question because we're actually – 
still got a couple 2020 spots and they're looking we've had a couple commitments that we've gone through the last little bit here and uh, I think what we've done virtually has really helped us uh, so I don't know how much it will stick for young men that can get to your campus but we've done some things that I believe will really help us in the future for young men that can't get to our campus and we've kind of always had you know some tours and our facilities and some different things like that but to really take the next step to show these young men who are recruiting right now um, you know possible transfer kids kids coming back off missions, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of those situations that are out there. Uh, and recruit them. We've gone to a lot of the uh, our video guys, Bill Gear and his crew, have just done a tremendous job. One of them is you just hop in a car, and it's like you're driving around campus, and it's not going into buildings or whatever. It's it's going around campus. It's going around Logan and seeing Logan. We've never had that before um, to that extent. And then there's the, you know, the campus tours where we walk through and do some things uh, with uh, – just, and it's sped up. It's a quick tour. It's probably what would take a half hour to do is sped up and is maybe five to six minutes. Uh, but you get to see the campus. So I think that's been big. Uh, we've had more, you know, more communication with FaceTime calls, I would say, with recruits. Um, I like the addition of the ability, and I think this should stick, for a recruit to have an opportunity to actually be part of a um, position meeting one time. I think that's a fantastic uh, bit of information for our kids from a distance that can't get on our campus. You know, they come here, they can get involved in the meeting, and they see everything. So if anything come out of it as a positive to me, it would be the things that we've added that the young men can get when they they do get their feet into Logan. They get their families with them themselves into Logan, and they can see us and see the Utah State as a whole. Um, they should be able to do that uh, from a Zoom, if you will. If we can do that, I think it's a step positive, a step in the right direction for recruiting. You know, as the CEO, you're uh, responsible for a lot of stuff as a head coach, and some of them is financial and budget and all that. And I wonder about all the talk about conference games only. Uh, I've seen some stuff on social media about what that might do to a group of five teams. If it comes to that, what kind of impact does that have on the on a on a Mountain West f- football program going forward? Yeah, you know, I I don't know. Um, I'm sure it will be a big shot. You know, football is a driving force for athletic departments, and it's a big part of any university. Everybody knows that. And um, so I don't know what the the numbers would be. I'm sure it would be substantial, but I do believe this is that Utah State will be able to sustain and and handle whatever adversity comes their way down those lines. And I think what we'll do is we'll work hard as we can to. You know, I see a lot of these professional teams. It seems like now, and uh, they're stepping up and they're kind of saying, "Hey, well, you know, we need to make." sure that we think about the athletes first and I think that's what you know Utah State and I think ultimately that's the NCAA will do regardless of the hit that it's going to take financially I mean it is what it is and we've shut down the world so a lot of people aren't real worried about uh, you know what takes place and they seem it seems minor when you start talking about universities and you talk about whatever it may be not and not to say that it is minor but when you shut down the world and what's gone on, it is minor. Uh, so I think we'll make the right decision at Utah State. I think when this is all settles down and we'll battle ourselves back through it, we'll be just fine. The key for me is that we all be team players. Um, you know, every coach, every student athlete um, that is involved that has an opportunity, there's going to be some sacrifices, and you better accept those sacrifices. And you need to play within the rules that are given in front of you. Don't try to bend them. Don't try to break them. Don't try to tweak them. Do what's right. And uh, if you do that, I think as a school, Utah State, my belief is that we'll, you know, we'll come out of this thing on top and we'll be in a good spot. But we have to uh, understand this is uh, a lot more things more important than a dollar figure for a university right now, just in my own opinion. 
You know, I think over the years I've been to all the Mountain West locations, even teams that aren't in the Mountain West anymore. I've been there. And I think one of the things that separates the Mountain West and its strong point is the number of college towns. You know, you got Boise, a little bit bigger place, but still a lot of revolves around Boise State, Logan, Fort Collins, Laramie, Albuquerque. You know, the university and its sports programs are the biggest thing in there. As far as recruiting, I'm wondering for you, I would think that if you can get kids to Logan and they can be in the atmosphere of Logan and see that it is a true college town and the community really revolves around Utah State, has got to be a plus for you. With you not being able to do that to the level that you are accustomed to given the situation has that been any of any any of a detriment absolutely yes it's uh people just you know really don't know and i can give you an example there's two or three young men that we're still currently recruiting and, and hoping to get here that have not been to logan and you know they they have done all the things that we can give them that we talked about earlier they've gone online and uh, just talked to you know seen what our coaches are about and talked to our coaches but until you get the true feel it's impossible to get the true feel of what cash valley is and what what i truly love about cash valley you would never be able to get that true feeling until you're here and you spend some time um and it's the same with utah state university as a whole and that's not just for student athletes that's for you know any student athlete any student excuse me i think as you come up here and you see the town and understand what it is you said it right it's a college atmosphere it's a, it's a special place how tight the kids are together and I can go on and on not to ramble about it but it is a big big detriment and we've done everything we possibly can to make that up uh, but it's not the same so flip that how hard has it been to evaluate guys you constantly have to do that if you're not going to have camps if you can't go to seven on sevens if it's hard to fly around the country and meet all the people around a guy to evaluate them what do you do, and how much is that setting you back? Yeah, the big thing is when you're sitting as, as we are, and we we'll always pride ourselves on being a developmental program. That's how I grew up in, in this profession and uh, learned long ago when I first started working with Coach Mack and all the coaches that I worked with at the different places early in my career. We were always developmental programs, whether it was in the Big Sky or the WAC or even in junior college. Um, and so it, it, it is a detriment because we see so much transition and change in the young men that we're recruiting from the time they play their junior year in high school to where all of a sudden now, next time we see them is in camp, you know, as far as physically really going out there and doing what they do is play football. We may see them walking in the hallway or whatever. Um, or on the Zoom or FaceTime call or whatever it's going to be, but we don't see them physically until we get them in those camps, and then we see them physically play their senior year. Um, so that's that's a, a big, big difference, especially, I believe, for us as we pride ourselves on that young man that was a three-sport athlete. He was you know, he was 6'1", he was a late mature, a late developer, if you will, and all of a sudden you know, he's grown three inches, and uh, he's still skinny because he plays three sports, but we can develop him into what we see and his genetics and get him to know his family his parents, all those things are such a big part of, of, of where we're going. And I think that plays a big part of our team as we move through the future. We've, you know, we brought in 53 new kids last year, and their development is key. And how are they developing now? Some are, are getting absolutely stronger. We have young men that have gotten stronger through this process. We also have young men that don't have the ability to get stronger because they don't have the facility. Um, so all those things in developmental problem are, are developmental program are, are a detriment. But again, I look at it and I say, hey, are you going to just you know, sit around and, and whine about it or, and, or try to make it work out for you. And I think we've done our best as, as the strength coaches and, like I say, the video guys and these assistant coaches have done a great job to, to give us an opportunity to fight and continue to be a developmental program through recruiting and uh, all the other steps in our program.
Well, no spring ball or organized activities, and I don't know what's going to happen in the summer as far as summer workouts as a team unofficially. How much time do you think you will need for your team leading up to the first game? Well, I've said all along eight weeks, um, and I, I stick to that. And that's not me just saying being stubborn and saying, "Oh, I think it's eight weeks." That's that's me talking to a lot of people, um, talking to other coaches, talking to medical professionals, talking to trainers, talking to strength guys through throughout the country that I respect and know very, very well. Now, the plan that the Mountain West has put out there that uh, appears to be one that the uh, you know they they like the best, and we as coaches have sat down and communicated. I know there's been trainers and everybody involved. I believe that's going to be very similar to a type of an eight-week scenario. Uh, but the bottom line is if it's six, then it's six. You know, if it's four, then I guess it's going to be four. We're going to react and develop to where it's going to be. The key to that is what I've learned over the last month is you, know, you better be ready for anything as a player, as a coach, as a strength, as, as a strength coach, um, as, a tra- as we sit in and our, our medical people, our trainers, and then also for the players. So you better give them a plan to be ready as they possibly can. Now, what that means, I don't know because it's different for every single kid. But when you walk back in here, I know this. You better be able to run 10 gassers because if you can't run 10 gassers, um, everybody, I believe, has a chance to be able to do that. You need to be able to run 10 gassers when you walk back in here. It's just, That's your responsibility, I believe, as a, as a student athlete. If you walk back in here for Utah State football program, you need to be able to do that. Where your strength moves are and your strength gains are, your strength losses are, really, to me, that's how your body composition is because there's things you can do if you really want to, doing push-ups, sit-ups, body weight squats, whatever the strength coaches are giving you to be able to, to, to sustain and maintain. But at the end, you know, I don't know. Is it is if we get eight weeks, we get eight. If we get six, we get six. If we get four, then I guess we deal with four. Um, but it's it's our responsibility now to say, hey, we're going to get to June first. We'll reestablish it. We're going to get in here hopefully in the middle of June, if if not before then, and we're going to start to to get you in shape for whatever the season presents. But uh, those are challenges that you look at every single day. And the one thing I've learned through this whole process, I would say, is um, there isn't structure and coaches like structure coaches like plans coaches like to have the answer whether that's the right answer or not you like to have an answer and right now sometimes we don't we've had to deal with that how many gasters you think dj could run oh let me see i saw him last week um on tv i'm gonna say i'm saying on a good day if he was mentally mentally into it gives up where he need to be i'd give him uh three but but you would be you have to play with the Giants, so that means you're going to get uh, so you're going to get twenty eighteen eighteen seconds to be able to go um, down the back across the field, but the, the width of the field, so fifty three and fifty three across. Okay. Uh, what do you think, DJ? The key now, comparing to my youth when I actually did but that. How much recovery is the other key, that. too? So I'll that's, give you an extra 30 seconds. That's so what I'm getting at. 30. The key is how quickly can the training staff drain my left knee? That would be that would be the key. Yeah. We, we all have those issues as we grow, right? That beast would swell up. Yeah. Be something out of an Alex Smith documentary, practically. Yeah. So I'm curious because you like to have the answers and all that, and we're hearing, uh, you know, the Pac-12 might be getting ready to play 11 conference games. And one of the reasons would be, well, it'll give you flexibility in the schedule if they're hot spots. And, you know, there could be games into January and February. Are you preparing for all the scenarios, or have you just gone to your AD and your administrators and say, tell me when you know and leave me alone until then? 
Yeah, I'm just relying on really, or, or I think the Mountain West again has done a really good job of communicating on a weekly uh, basis with the commissioners on the phone call. The head coaches are on there. We're, we're talking it out, and they're talking to the trainers every week, and they're, they're kind of giving us the landscape that they know of. A lot of those people are on committees and things that they talk about, and it, it surely it's you know it's, it's all over the place, which is 100% expected at this point. But they do give us the scenarios that are out there. And Mountain West has put in their own thoughts as far as what they would like to have at the end of the day, which. I think is what, what what you should do as a conference. So, we're I don't. There's not one scenario where we're really preparing for, other than again, I just I, I need some point of dates in front of me, and that's why we got to June first, and we've taken that as a normal training cycle, as if it would have started somewhere in maybe January, and we got to whenever spring ball starts sometime in April. We've kind of taken a cycle like that to make it be a you know six, seven, eight week cycle, and. Uh, strength coaches have just built it up to uh, take them and, and, and build them through the cycle to where whatever they're doing, how they're doing it, it has some newness to it. The one thing is school's over with for us now. Um, I think we're, our kids can have a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel to say, hey, we can, you know, hopefully this thing is going to go and we're going to move forward and, and it gives them a little more juice and excitement. So nothing substantial would just say, hey, this is, we're, we're planning on this. We're, we're going to try to be ready for whatever comes our way. Do you think under the circumstances that it's going to be harder for newcomers to earn a starting spot this coming season? Well, again, I think the NCA has done a great job of allowing some of those newcomers to uh, be involved in, in meetings and be involved in situations through those Zoom meetings, whether it's a unit meeting, whether it's a team meeting, whether it's an um, offense or defensive meeting. In our situation, for instance, uh, better opportunities because it's a tweak within the defensive structure, and uh, it's obviously going to be a tweak within the offensive structure. We're not wholesale changing anything, but there are tweaks, which I think gives you an opportunity without spring ball to kind of hop in on the same page uh, as, as some of those other kids that were fighting for a spot. We'll expect you know heavy competition um, uh, all the way through our, our football team from uh, each position all the way through, but as always, we'll lean and we'll say, hey, if we're bringing in a transfer kid or a young man that's a uh, whether it's a four-year transfer or a JC transfer, we're bringing them in here for a reason. We'd expect them to, uh, you know, contend and, and be a starter. If they're not, then we've all failed, including the young man, the coach, the coach that recruited him, the position coach that evaluated him, the coordinator, and, and mostly myself. So we expect those guys to come in and start. Now, does it always happen? No, but uh, you know, every young kid's going to fight, and every transfer is expected to start. Well, Gary, we appreciate a few minutes, a few gassers, a few laughs. Thanks for joining hey, us. You, 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 that would be interesting. Maybe we'll uh, we'll close it down for you. We'll close down the distance and see what we can get. We'll make it realistic. How about that? <laughs> I'm serious about draining my knee, too. <laughs> All right. I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Okay, guys. Have a wonderful day. Go Aggies. There's Gary Anderson, head coach of the Aggies. When we come back, Chris Camrani from The Athletic. He covers the Utes. He's got a really interesting story out on Steve Smith. That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we're joined by Chris Cameron, a Ute writer for The Athletic. Chris, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. 
So you caught up with Steve Smith. You got a few good stories out of him, didn't you? Yeah, I asked about five questions and got an hour's worth of transcribing. So that's always a good thing in retrospect, so no complaints there. How'd you go about getting in touch with him? Oh, you know, PK, I have my ways. <laughs> I mean, but in terms of, was it something that he wanted to do? Not, I'm not asking for details, but I meant... Oh, yeah, did, no, no, no. Yeah, it was just something that I, I know some of people that know him, and I just said, hey... We're living in quarantine. I have nothing really to write about outside of speculation of when college football is going to return. Steve Smith graduated 20 years ago. It's his birthday coming up. Would he be willing to chat with me? And then an unknown number called last week. I picked up. He said, this is Steve, and away we went. Yeah, that's what I was looking for, to just see how, how the story came about rather than, you know, who gave his phone number. That's not what I was interested in. Oh, no, I know. I, it's it's just a, uh, you know, we're, we're all trying to get as creative as possible uh, during this time. And I had never spoken to Steve. And the timeliness of it being, you know, 20 years ago, the fact it's for his birthday. And uh, I, I know that Steve has good stories and people have good stories about Steve. So I figured I would dive headfirst into that well and, and hopefully come out with something. And luckily, uh, people remember Steve for obvious reasons because of how good he was and how much he liked to uh, to compete and fight and chat. And that's basically what the story is, is people just recounting the, the old days of kind of the, the launching pad of Steve Smith, so to speak. So there are a lot of stories, and some of them reveal something about Steve. Some of them reveal along the way things about college football. And one thing that always interests me that I think is really unknown or underestimated by the public is how much time the coaches spend trying to know what kind of person they're recruiting and the depths they will go. And I found the... uh, the Taco Bell and the uh, yeah. timeliness story is like, man, and Fred Graves did go to a point and say, you know, what you could do then and what you can do now. You know, the rules have changed over time. But, but share some of that because he, really, he was really digging deep to find out who Steve was. For sure. And, and what people forget, too, is, you know, Chad Johnson was part of that wide receiving core at Santa Monica College back then. So Utah was also recruiting Chad at the time when they were recruiting Steve. And they were also recruiting a guy named Demetrius Posey, who was one of Steve's best friends and and talking to some folks. He was a Utah signee that that tragically passed away in a car accident. So Utah came close to getting all three of these these guys to come to their, you know, run heavy offense 20 years ago. But but what Fred was trying to do was he was trying to get to know uh, who Steve was as a person. He'd seen all of his highlights. He'd seen his ability to have game-changing plays and have these crazy punt returns. And and Fred had a great anecdote of, of being able to go watch Steve run track at Santa Monica back then. And at 5'8", he was running the high hurdles, which is pretty rare for a guy that size. So it just showed that he had this kind of off-the-charts athletic ability. Uh, but, but back then, Steve was working at Taco Bell um, about, you know, I think it was a mile and a half away from Santa Monica campus. So he would go there during lunch to pick up lunch shifts when he didn't have class before practice. And Fred would go down there because uh, outside of being, you know, on the practice facility, Fred knew where to find Steve and it was at Taco Bell. So Steve would tell his bosses, hey, I'm going to have some college guys stop in here from time to time. 
to just kind of get to know who I am and, and, and see if, if I'm a fit for them. And, and it's just funny, like you mentioned, DJ, looking back in retrospect, I have a hard time seeing any college coaches, A, showing up to a kid, uh, you know, talking to a kid that's working at Taco Bell, and B, even having the ability to now considering the, the restraints of recruiting in the NCAA landscape. I used to work at Taco Bell for a little bit when I was in college, so I can relate to that. Um, you did, did not. I did. Oh, I did. he did. Tell him the story about the woman. Oh, yeah. the My manager, man, we had a Christmas party, and so I'm like maybe 19 years old, and she was 30, which probably was akin to being 107 when you're 19 years old. And uh, she was hitting on me bad, but I had the good common sense, and she was married, to say, yeah, this isn't happening here. I'll dance a couple of dances with you. Not slow dancing. I practiced social distancing back then. But, yeah, she was she was hot to trot. But, uh, you know, I was looking for somebody a little bit closer to my age who wasn't married. It seemed like a logical thing to do. I don't know what you guys think. Good instincts, PK. A Taco Bell Christmas party where your boss is hitting on you. That sounds like an athletic story. You might have to let me write that, PK. True story. And did you know that DJ will say, oh, I read this in The Athletic, I read that in The Athletic, because the work computer is on The Athletic. It's not like he subscribes to The Athletic. He's just gravy training someone else's subscription, Chris. He's cord cutting. Come on, DJ. Guilty, Your Honor. <laughs> he makes he got two jobs. He's making all this money, and he can't freaking pop for good journalism. I'm spending. You believe on, this guy? I'm spending on landlines and the Salt Lake Tribune. Leave me alone. <laughs> you still have a landline? Yeah, against my will. That's a long story. We'll get into it later. <laughs> he's a, he's held against his will on a landline. <laughs> Who's got a landline? You freaking old timer. Is it rotary dial? <laughs> that would be awesome, but no. <laughs> so tell us another Steve, uh, another uh, Steve story, one that uh, that you particularly loved or surprised you when you heard it, because you you talked to oh, a lot of people for about sure. it. Yeah, yeah. The, the best one was, and this is this is a you know patting my own back, but this just goes to show that you, you get good stories by talking to as many people as you can. When I finally got a hold of Andre Dyson a couple of weeks ago, he told me that Steve used to wear the hats of the opposing teams that they would play that week just to like fire himself up and to get his teammates pissed off at him and the team they're playing. So Steve said when he moved to Salt Lake, he would always go to the local malls, and, and fans was a store back then, obviously. And he said fans used to have all of the Mountain West Conference uh, hats for sale for all of the teams in the Mountain West Conference. So what he would do is, when he had enough money, he would just go buy the hat of the team Utah was playing that week. And, and Andre told me that story, and I was like, hey, hey, I need you to tell me again, because one, that doesn't make too much sense, and two, I need you to explain to me why. Then he did, and then when I was able to talk to Steve, he was like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite thing. And he said, guys would get pissed off at me. Fred Graves would be like, hey, what's your deal? Why are you wearing UNLV hats the week we're going to play the Rebels? And Steve told him uh, why he was doing it, and it served as an internal motivator for himself. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people try to get on that level of, of Michael Jordan. I think with the, with the last dance going on, everybody's really excited to talk about his 
his uh, internal ability to motivate himself. And Steve Smith, I will say, is probably as close as it gets to Michael in terms of a story that I've done on somebody that's just always looking for something to use, a slight. Um, you know, Steve always holds a grudge against DJ's Aztecs for choosing to go another route. And that's another piece in the story about how he never forgot what SDSU told him, that he was okay but not good enough for them. And the two games he had against SDSU were some of his best uh, during his time at Utah. I don't remember the game he played against them in Salt Lake, but in San Diego, a boring defensive struggle, two teams floundering around, and the Utes win 21-7, and he has an 80-yard touchdown catch, and I think he had another score, too. I don't know if it was that long, but the 80-yarder, he just ran by everybody, threw it over the top, and he was gone. It was like these two teams just grinding out, and this guy is on a different level. Yeah, he had two catches for 143 yards in that game. Both of them were touchdowns. And then the other game, uh, it was five for 131, I think, and two touchdowns as well. But that was a blow, and I think Utah beat him by like 21 or something. So if the Utes can get a Steve Smith back then, who's all that, how come they can't get him now when they're in a Pac-12? That's a great question, and that's something that I think Utah is going to need in order to get over the hump. I, I think recruiting and developing skill position players to go with their offensive identity. Uh, once you get into the, the haymaking throws with USC and Oregon, they're just going to need guys to, to be game changers. And again, it's, it, it's a different time, but it, but it is interesting to look back and say, here was Utah, a, a run first team, a dedicated play action team that had, you know, Mike Anderson, a future NFL back, that came close to landing Steve Smith, Chad Johnson, and the late Demetrius Posey, who a lot of people think would have been better than, than all three of those guys if, if he had been able to uh, to come to Utah. So again, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, and, and Utah needs to figure that out because I think a lot of it is just fit and style. Um, I'm interested to see if, if this last year does anything for Utah on the recruiting front. They're in on a couple of big-time, you know, three, four-star wide receivers in Texas and, and the West Coast, but I think it's one thing to be in on them. It's another thing to land them and be able to develop those guys in order to go with that kind of dedicated running game that Utah is known for. So I get why it would be hard to bring a four-star receiver to Utah with a run-oriented offense and a sketchy history of the passing game, but what I don't get is why they can't find the diamonds in the rough that they used to find. There are still players going to the Mountain West Conference who are good players, who get a lot of yards, get a lot of catches, score a lot of touchdowns, go to the NFL in some cases. Yeah, That's the part I don't get. Why they lose a four-star guy to Oregon or USC, I get that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, can we count Britton Covey as a diamond in the rough? Probably, yeah, because exactly. of the size issue, yeah. same as uh, you know Steve Smith, right? Undersized. Yeah, Steve Smith. I mean, I think, I think uh, going back a little further, Tim Patrick, I think you can classify as, as one of those guys. But again, Considering Utah's been in, in the Pac-12 for almost a decade now, the fact that there are only three to four guys that really come to mind and that Britain's one of them, I think uh, is just Utah has to bust through that glass ceiling and, and figure it out. And I know um, when you're watching a, a, a team that gives Zach Moss the ball 20 to 25 times a game, um, as a receiver, you're like, do I really want to go to a place that's 
going to be dedicating so much to the run game. But but I think what what Utah has going for it, guys, is that Andy Ludwig's going to always play to his strength of whatever he has at his disposal. He had a generational back in Zach Moss. He had literally the best running back in the history of, of Utah football, 100-something years. So he obviously he's going to go with Zach, which is why I think this year, you know, hopefully when we have a season, it's going to be wild because it's going to be a Utah offense having to take the, the load from the defense where usually it's vice versa. And I don't think we've ever seen Utah return this many skill position players on the outside um, than, than they have coming back in 2020. Yeah, but I still don't think it's going to make a difference. I think that they're going to be a defensive-oriented team, and they're going to play ball possession and punt if things don't go well, and then hopefully they stop them. Until I see otherwise, I don't care what the numbers say. That's what I'm going to believe. Really? I mean, I think I think the fact that they're replacing so many guys and that so many of the guys that they're bringing in that they're going to have to rely on playing either have zero experience or very limited amount of experience. I mean, let's not... Let's not discount the fact that there could be a time, if we play in 2020, that Utah could have as many four to five true freshmen in the secondary. That's right. unheard of. But that, that's so why that's I think why he's... I... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's why I think you're just it's going to be uh, flipped on its head a little bit. I think no. if, if, if you do play, if you do have a, a, an experienced quarterback in Jake Bentley, if you do have two guys that can be running back by committee, and you have, you know, an All-American candidate in Brant Keithy at tight end. And if everybody's healthy on the outside, I think it could be a totally different offense. I mean, I think we could see rather than 60-40 run, we could see 55-45 pass or 60-40 pass. I just don't know how much you – I mean, outside of Devin Lloyd, who I think is going to be a very, very, you know, all-conference type linebacker, and, and Mika Tafua, you have, you know, beef on the inside with some returning guys. But after that, you have literally – so many unknowns. I mean, yeah. so many unknowns, and that's and that's just kind of un, unheard of in the, in Utah's era of of the Pac-12 A, and just like in the last twenty years. I mean, I can't remember the last time Utah lost so many defensive players to the draft and had got, and didn't have that many guys behind them that had no experience. So that's why I think. I mean, you you, you could be right, PK. I, I mean, depending on how they stack up, but that defense is going to take its lumps, man. I mean. There, there are going to be guys that are going to be going against Keaton Slovis and that air raid offense in like week five of, of the season and their first season in college football. Right. But that's why he's going to be getting even more conservative because I can't afford to put my defense even in a worse position because they're already vulnerable. So the last thing I need is the offense turning the ball over on uh, its 45-yard line or the other team's 45-yard line because my defense is already susceptible. When he had a great defense, he refused to open it up because it's all about protecting the defense. That's his philosophy. So now when they were sending all these guys to the NFL – they still didn't do it. They still ran it, and I get that. And, and Zach Moss is all that, and there's no question about it, but I think it's also a product of the system. And here, with a inexperienced defense, I see Kyle clamping down even more because he doesn't want to put them even more at risk. Yeah, I can see that. I guess I guess as a dreamer, I want, I want the, uh, the, the establishment to be flipped on its head. I, w- I want the ultimate. I want the ultimate Joker and Kyle Whittingham to just be like, roll the dice and riverboat Kyle. But that probably won't happen. Well, don't fall in love with a dreamer. <laughs> is that is that a, is that a line from your old Taco Bell boss? 
Uh, I think it's uh, the dearly departed Kenny Rogers. Ah, the gambler. May he rest in peace. Exactly. I think the X factor in here is uh, Andy Ludwig. I think Kyle has more trust in Andy than he's had in any OC he's had in the time he's been there. So there'll be a little bit of wiggle room. And if it goes well, he'll let it go. But how quickly will he say, never mind, run it three times and punt if things aren't going well? Yeah, I, I agree. That's the X factor. I think I, I think I totally think that that dynamic that those two have could potentially change. I just think that with the amount of experience they have coming back on offense, there are going to be games where Utah has no choice but to let it loose and try to outscore people. I think, I mean, like against USC, is Utah's defense, who has talent but it's crazy and experienced, going to be able to hold that offense to 21 points? Well, if you if you get behind, if you get behind, then the choice is easy. You got to open it up because you got to catch up. So, yeah. Right. All right. Hey, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Nice work on the uh, story with Steve. And Chris, we'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Camerani from The Athletic. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are next. Stay with us.